open your Bibles with me to 1 Kings. We're in the Old Testament today. Very rich story. We'll be studying the 19th chapter of the book, starting at verse 1. So 1 Kings chapter 19. We'll read that in a few minutes. One of our favorite series to read as a family during the elementary school years was the Magic Treehouse books. Two kids, Jack and Annie, who are brother and sister, are given the ability to travel back in time to various important events all over the world, often meeting historical figures along the way. On their journey, they don't actually know what their purpose will be until they are deep into the mission. There are always challenges to what they're doing. Often they have circumstances which feel outside the realm of what they can accomplish. Of course, in each book, things would get harder and harder for Jack and Annie. Just when they seemed to solve one problem, three harder ones would spring up. And eventually, when it seemed like the kids were out of options, ideas, or good luck, our family started to say... This is their darkest hour. I wonder how they're going to get out of this. While we knew that it would turn out okay, we also knew that the darkest hour was part of the journey for them. Today we read a story about the prophet Elijah and his darkest hour. Now for those of us simply reading a story or watching a movie... We know that there has to be an outcome that either turns out okay or has some redemption, redemptive part in it someplace. But for the person going through the story, when it's unfolding, it actually feels very different. The darkest hour often feels like there's no hope and it colors our mindset to the point that despair can be all that we see. God has given humanity the ability to reason our way through difficulties. As his people, he has also given us his very presence, his help in ways that happen outside the realm of what we ourselves can figure out and accomplish on our own. But Elijah here is a man at the end of himself. He's out of options and he's calling to God for help. But before we read the story, we have to know what's been happening because it really does begin in the middle of the narrative. Kings, of course, is the book of the history of Israel during the time that God allowed them to have monarchs. It tells the story of these leaders pointedly showing that obedience to God is directly tied to success for the nation. There are good kings. There are bad kings. As the king goes... So goes the nation. Often the stories of rulers are also linked to those that God sent as messengers to help them. Both the king and the messenger are supposed to be anointed by God to lead the people. But when the king is not acting with integrity, it falls on the prophet, on the pastor, to rebuke the one who is supposed to be faithful to God in leading the people. Ahab, who is the king in this story is like his father before him. He is a brutal leader. 
In fact, in chapter 16, we read these words. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the other kings of Israel who went before him. One of the awful things that Ahab did was marry Jezebel, who was the first to introduce the worship of the false god Baal into the nation. Himself, Ahab, replaced worship sites of Yahweh with ones honoring Baal. Then they tried to kill all of the prophets of God, but over a hundred were spared by Obadiah, who was a close aide to Ahab, but secretly working for God. I love that, a spy for God. In chapter 17, Elijah comes on the scene and he says, there's going to be drought unless some changes are made. Many believe that Elijah did this because Baal is the god of storm. So for Elijah to say there's going to be a drought makes Baal seem ineffective. But then Elijah goes into hiding because Ahab and Jezebel want to get rid of him. Elijah's name means Yahweh is God, which is very fitting for who he is and for his message. While in hiding, God uses Elijah to touch people's lives. But after three years of drought and three years of running, the Lord tells Elijah, go and present yourself to the king. And tell the king that rain is coming. Now, rain wasn't coming because of obedience on Ahab's part, but simply because the Lord willed it. The people were suffering. And when they meet, Ahab famously says to Elijah, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Elijah tells Ahab that it is actually he and his wife who have brought trouble on Israel with their false worship. He then invites Ahab to bring as many people of Israel and all of the prophets of Baal to the top of Mount Carmel for a contest. When they arrive, Elijah tells the people, you have to decide who you're going to serve. Are you going to serve Yahweh or are you going to serve Baal? And in a well-known competition, he has two altars set up, one for Baal and one for Yahweh. Wood is put on the altar and it is decided that they will call on the name of both gods and see who answers by fire. The people agree and the followers of Baal go first. They call on Baal's name all day long, but no answer. Elijah taunts them and they try harder, but no answer. No fire comes. When it is time for Elijah, he has them pour water over all the wood so that it will not burn just by human hand. He prays for the Lord to make himself known so the people will turn back to him and know that he is real, that he is God. After he prays, the fire of the Lord comes immediately, drying all the water and causing the people to fall on their knees. Elijah does not allow the prophets of Baal to flee. Instead, he slays 450 of them. When it is over, he prays to the Lord and the rain begins to pour down. Let's, happen, let's see what happens next in 1 Kings 19, 1 through 15. Now Ahab, the king, told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Really nice, nice woman. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. 
while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for these stories. For the faithful and for the unfaithful, Lord. They teach us who you are and what your will is. So God, give us your ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a story with many elements that we recognize as being part of the human predicament. In our hopes to do good in the world, sometimes we run straight into a wall. Elijah is done. He is spent. But this story also teaches us about the mercy of God. Because when we are seemingly out of options and run to God, he meets us. God urges us always in scripture to seek him. And when we seek him, he supplies our needs. There are four tangible things the Lord does here that remind us of his constancy, his faithfulness, and our turmoil. The Lord cares for us. The Lord lets us be who we are. The Lord allows us to see him in a fresh way. And the Lord directs us to the next thing. So I want to briefly just talk about those things. The first thing we notice is that God cares for Elijah. Elijah is running scared again. 
Jezebel, who remains undaunted by any contest, declares to a messenger that she is giving her God's permission to take her life if she has not killed Elijah in a day's time. Now, since her gods are powerless, we know this is a meaningless threat. But Elijah knows that still she will hunt him down. He is terrified of her. So he runs over a hundred miles to Beersheba. He leaves his servant and travels another day's journey on his own. He must see God. As I was reading this, it occurred to me how it is always the simple things that restore us the most. Here we see that Elijah is restored with sleep, water, a bit of food, a comforting presence, a shady tree. When we are overwhelmed and come to the end of ourselves, the Lord knows it is in the slowing down that helps us the most. Just like children when they are cranky and out of sorts, maybe melting down, we too have to take time to restore our souls. Everything looks worse when we're tired and when we're hungry. Our complaints are always the loudest when our basic needs have not been met. Elijah's prayer is that he has had enough and he asks the Lord to take his life. He is in a dark place. And so the Lord sends an angel to minister to Elijah, just like he did after Jesus was tempted by Satan. Because Elijah has been in the same kind of spiritual battle that Jesus faced. This has been a long siege for Elijah with physical and emotional components. But the spiritual component is by far the most important. The fight for good and evil take a toll on us, especially when it appears that evil is winning. God supplies our needs. Think about a time in your life when you needed some solace or a bit of care. God abundantly has given to us the things that we need to find comfort when we are grieving, when we are fearful. Although it might be difficult, we have to take care of ourselves. It is one of the ways that then we can hear God more clearly. When you are in the midst of stress or a terrifying situation, make yourself stop. And receive the simple gifts God has given you to give you peace of mind, to restore your soul. It is often the first necessary step. Secondly, the Lord meets us by letting us be who we are. There is no rebuke here when Elijah goes to the Lord, when he finally gets to the place where he's going. God asks a simple question. What are you doing here, Elijah? God asks him, why he's there, of course not because he doesn't know, but because asking the obvious helps in a few ways. First, it helps Elijah to reflect on his own soul. Yeah, why am I here? To gather his thoughts, to make them clear. It also gives Elijah the opportunity to express his feelings. He has the chance to retell his story in such a way that can bring healing. Have you ever had the experience of holding in your hurt, holding in your pain until you were with someone who truly loved you and cared about you? 
And the minute you saw them, you let it all out. Sharing our traumas, especially with the one who loves us most, gives us a place to let go of our pain. Elijah says he's been zealous for God when most others have rejected the covenant in ugly ways. He says, I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me too. God is so gracious because it isn't true that he's the only one left. Remember Obadiah and the hundred prophets that he saved. But in Elijah's state, he can't see that. He can't see beyond his own reality. Elijah is depressed. He's burned out. He's alone. He's discouraged. He's despairing. It is interesting for us to see that Elijah is in such a bad place after such a successful time on top of Mount Carmel. God showed his power and people fell on their knees. Elijah knows that Yahweh is bigger than any evil rulers. That at some point Ahab and Jezebel are going to move on. But nonetheless, he is discouraged. It makes one wonder if Elijah expected that Ahab and Jezebel would fall to their knees in repentance. When they saw this huge thing that the Lord did. And now the rain has come and Elijah doesn't have any bargaining chips left. Elijah has given it all he has. And still nothing has changed. Still these two are in power and the people will continue to suffer. So he goes back to hiding, this time in God's own mountain. Our feelings are so incredibly important. Regardless of what the truth is, God did not correct Elijah. He let him talk. He lets him process. He listens. I hope that every day you're pouring out your feelings to God. In trouble or in joy, God is there to give us what we need. We don't have to have a filter or look good in front of him. He wants us to be as real with him as we can be. Because then he can be real with us. God is our refuge and our strength. And our problems matter to him. As we are his children. Don't hold back because God wants to hear from you. Thirdly, we see the Lord allowed Elijah to know him in a fresh way. Elijah travels 40 days and nights to get to Horeb, which is believed to be Mount Sinai. He goes 250 miles to see the Lord, wanting to be in a sacred place, wanting to be in the place where Moses met God, in a place where he knows God's spirit resides. We know that we don't have to be any place special to hear from God But there are places that are special to us, aren't there? There are places that we go to that are very sacred to us, where the Lord has maybe spoken to us, where maybe we have had an experience of his spirit, where somehow for some reason we can actually hear him better. Where is that place for you? Where can you feel the presence of God in a way that you can't hear him in other places? After Elijah expresses his heart, God tells him to go and stand on a mountain to wait for him to pass by. What is being expressed here is a theophany, which means the appearance of a divine presence. We know we can't define God's presence 
nor can we make it happen just because we want it to happen. We can't manufacture God's presence. We can't say, oh, it only looks this way or that way. God's presence among us happens when he wills it. And he decides what it will look like. In this case, there were three very distinct and powerful manifestations of nature described here. But none of them had the Lord's spirit in them. God gives them to Elijah one by one. Wind. Earthquake, fire, all of these can be terrifying to the extreme, as we know, as Californians. With God, we often see action. He did this. He created that. He moved in this way. He created fire on a pile of wet logs. He healed. He came. He died. He rose again. Because he is so powerful, we often think that he will be in the big and the glaring. But sometimes we know that his presence is just a deep knowing that he is there. Here with Elijah, he reveals himself in stillness. In this sheer silence. In a gentle whisper. We don't know why. Probably because that's what Elijah most needed in that moment. Elijah recognizes it right away and covers his face and goes out again to speak to the Lord. I think our takeaway here is that God reveals himself to us in the way that he decides. How has he shown himself to you? When have you known him to make a big statement? When have you felt him in gentle stillness? When we seek the Lord, he will give us his presence. We just need to listen. It will probably not be how we expect it. Or what we were thinking it would look like. But it will be exactly what we need. How are you listening in this season of your life? How has experiencing God's presence given you what you have needed in the moment? Lastly, God directs us to what is next. Elijah has slowed down, has been able to get some things off his chest has felt the presence of Yahweh, and now moving forward, God is prepared to show him what he needs to do. So he asks Elijah again, why are you here? But Elijah again gives the same answer. This is interesting to me. Did Elijah not learn anything? Is he still in process? Did he not get any satisfaction from his experience? Was he looking for a different kind of assurance? It doesn't matter because God's ready for the next step. He doesn't revisit the conversation, kind of like a parent who says, okay, we're not going to talk about that anymore. We're done. God still has work for Elijah to do. In his estimation, the prophet is ready for the next phase of the story in his life. His people are primed. They're ready to be led by new people. So Elijah is to go and anoint a new king and a new prophet. God does not say why, and we don't know. 
In our lives, what we do know is that he rarely gives us the grand plan. Instead, he gives us the information that we need to know for what is next. Because the way he guides keeps us close to him. If we had the whole picture, we might go off without him. How is God directing you right now for what is next? In all circumstances, when we hit a wall or seem to be out of options, God is ready to minister to us. We are never alone. When our family read the Magic Treehouse books, I don't know why I'm crying about that, but I am. Our family began to see that the mission was only part of the journey. Most times the lesson for Jack and Annie, for Elijah, for you and for me, isn't what we originally set out to accomplish. Always God has a lesson, or several, for us to learn so that we can be more like him. And on the next journey, we can take newfound courage, perspective, or kindness. For Elijah, I think part of his lesson was to learn that God had his best at heart. That Elijah's life was important, regardless of whether or not people listened to his message. Regardless of whether or not he thought he was successful. God is sovereign and in control. The things we do for him are not failures. If we have been faithful and our hearts are tuned to him. God was still present. He was still on the throne. And Elijah needed that reassurance. As we face our darkest hours, may we be constantly aware as we take time to listen. That the spirit of God is hovering always with us. Ready to minister to our souls. So let us be still and know that he is with us. Let's pray.